So, um, we've looked at Christ's love as something that captivates us. We've looked at some, as Christ's love as something that compels us when we're convinced by it. But also Christ's love <clears throat> conforms and transforms us. And I want to use that, the, the word us in, t- in two ways. There's the us that we are a collection of people together, therefore individually it's conforming us. Um, but I want to use that word us as a, in, in, in a corporate sense rather than individuals who are part of that, that it's, it's conforming and transforming the church. And then I want to use it in, in another way that Christ's love also conforms and transforms people's lives and communities' lives who don't yet know him. And it's the same power and it's the same way um, that God does that. So we're just gonna, we're gonna look at um, uh, a passage in Acts 2, uh, 38 through to 47 together. So if you've got your Bibles open up to there um, and I'll just say a few introductory words. Um, the way in which God conforms us is an ancient way. It's not a new way, yeah? There's something that God has always done throughout all generations, starting from the foundations of the earth through the birth of Israel into the new uh, Israel, the church, and even now. These are not new things, these are old things. These are rooted in who God is and what he does. This is the same way. Sometimes I think in church revitalization or church planting circles or church growth circles, everybody's looking for the silver bullet. Everybody's looking for the quick fix. There's no quick fix for people to come to know Jesus. There's no quick fix in growing up in Christ. It's the same old ancient ways that God has set out for us to grow in him. It's the same way back in Acts that the church grows will be the same way that this church will grow. This local expression of God's family will grow. There is no quick fix. This is not about mode or model. This is about motivation and mission. This is about the way in which God does it. And sometimes I think we can get disillusioned because we put our hopes in the things that we do rather than the, the person who's doing it. We, we, we think, well, if we do this, if we live this way, if we speak that way, salvation will, will come to, to people. Well, well, maybe it will, maybe it won't. Maybe the mode is a better transmitter than another mode. That's a less better transmitter. Well, maybe a, a one mode is a barrier and the other one's a conduit. Maybe, but the message and the mission is, is the thing that really saves people. It's not the mode that we do. And so I want to say that right from the beginning because if we don't get that right, we will just get disillusioned with the results that might come from trying to take what we know to be true, uh, being compelled and convinced and captivated by Christ and say, okay, 
here, let's live in this new way. And then we think, okay, this new way will produce growth. No, the new way doesn't produce growth. The old way, the same way that Christ, he's the one who redeems people. And so uh, when we come to mode, it's not, it's not the main thing. The main thing, the mode comes out of the message. It comes out of that relationship with Christ. But if we try and jump over the message of Christ to get to mode, then we might see more people come into this church, but we might not make more disciples. We see this in a lot, a lot of churches where the um, goal is if we get a good band, if we get an inspiring preacher, we'll get more bums on seats. And they do get more bums on seats. Of course they do. But those bums come from other seats. They don't come from new seats often. They, they come from other churches, other places, to fill the pews. What's the point? Is that not just sheep shuffling? Of course we welcome anyone to come through doors who wants to be on mission with us. Because they're captivated by the one who is the mission, Christ himself. And they, and, and they want to be part of this family. Brilliant, absolutely. But we're on a trajectory to saying we're family and we want to be on mission. So the focus is mission, not the bottom on the seat. Does that make sense? We want to go out the sheep that are not of this fold and bring them in. Not just take a sheep from another fold and bring them into ours so that we look better or we're growing. To me, that's just sheep shuffling and it's not really what we, what we want to do. We really want to go after those who don't know Christ. We want to see his kingdom come. And so we may, may be prone to become disillusioned if our hope is in some sort of mode or method. Yet there is an old transforming way, an old path, not an easy path, a path that is hard to walk, a path that requires trust and obedience, a, a path that requires us to be bold and to live in the reality that we are not able to save people. So we're sent on a mission together as a family of which we cannot complete on our own. So we go with our boldness, we go with our strength, we go compelled and captivated, encouraged, but knowing that we cannot do that which we're asked to do. Now that sounds confusing, doesn't it? But it's not. Because Christ is the one who does it through us. And so we're, go, we're called to, to be on his mission, to do his work. And so we go in a confidence that he will do it. Now sometimes, like I could tell you stories where we've been surprised somebody's come to the Lord. Quickly. Like, oh my goodness me. That was way quicker than we thought. And the other times we're like, Yes. We're really getting somewhere here. And so from our outward eyes, we, 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 we are sort of assessing how people are coming and growing to Christ. And, and sometimes it doesn't happen. And there's disappointments. There's uh, a friend of ours, myself and Joe, who we have known for um, 15 years. And there have been a number of times we've thought, okay, this guy is at rock bottom. This is, you know, he, he is interested he's keen and every time he's got to that place of having to choose between being in charge of his own life and being in charge and Christ being in charge he's choosing his own every time he comes to that place of having to recognize that he has nothing to offer even though he's rock bottom he just doesn't want to admit that so he can accept Christ 
So, there have been much disappointment in our mission. Many people who've come and been in a relationship with us who have gone away, like the rich young ruler, sad because they didn't want to pay the price. But then there are times where the unexpected takes place, when you think, oh, this person seems so hard to the gospel. There's one gentleman um, who uh, was in the RAF. He's uh, 93 and um, no interest, no interest. Uh, he was met by a friend who was volunteering at a local library, teaching computer skills. His, his wife had uh, recently died and that had massively affected, affected him and he was trying to get out and meet people. And so um, one of our guys was um, just teaching this class uh, voluntarily. Uh, just sort of struck up a bit of a relationship with him, invited me along, said, hey, look, would you, shall we, be nice to take him out for some food? So I said, yes, take him out for some food. Uh, so we spent time that way. A number of times I said to him, would you like to study the Bible? No, no, not interested. Um, and then actually some of it was like, I'm not interested because I'm a good person. So I don't really need God. I'm good enough. Uh, so I thought, well, I don't know where to go with this, um, but we, uh, a number of, uh, over a number of years, have invited him at Christmas to come spend Christmas with us. So we have other folks around the table with us at Christmas time. Um, he's come two or three times, and then about two years ago, we um, couldn't get hold of him. Couldn't find out where he was. He sort of disappeared, and we found out he'd gone on a cruise. He'd fallen ill with a heart attack and was in a, um, um, a hospital in Malta. <laughs> um, and he was receiving treatment there. And then when he came back, he was obviously in a, a bit of a bad way and we tried to help him out and cleaned up his house, and, which was a bit of a state. And then more recently, he had fallen, we couldn't find him again. He'd fallen in, we tracked him down. He was in a hospital and he'd had a, heart attack um, and um, so again we just faithfully went to serve we have no expectation he'd been quite clear he didn't want to follow Jesus 93 and you're thinking 93 you know maybe he's even harder towards the gospel like he just want to admit that his life has not um, you know has, has been missing something for that long length of time anyway so we're around the um uh, around the bed saying, you know, how you doing, what's, what's going on? Uh, and he was just chatting away, and we were like, oh, what, how, how, how you, uh, where are you? Does not, this not make you think about where you're going, and not make you think about your, your life, and what do you think about Christ? And he's like, no, I believe. I'm like, what? I believe. So, I'm like, so when people say that, I'm always careful, I say, oh, you know, what, what do you believe? And he's like, oh. I believe, I believe, I believe Jesus died for my sin, okay? I believe that he rose again for my sin, yeah. I said, do you believe that you're a sinner? Said, yes, I do. I said, do you believe that he died for you? He's like, yes, he did. I said, um, how, do you, how do you feel? And he was like, brilliant. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I haven't even shared the gospel with him. I mean, we shared it before with him, but it was just, it was just like out of the blue, you know? Um, and sometimes those things happen as well. Amazing things where you think, we've been down that road, we've walked in for a, 
um, six years, nothing. Not expecting anything. And yet the Lord has been at work. I, I tell you this story and other stories because I think sometimes that there is no convey about. There is no one way. There's some simple things which we'll look at in Acts which are the path of transformation that will transform our lives and will transform other people's lives as we walk them. It's not a quick fix. It's hard work. It's much investment. Um, but, but what we see is that the fruit of living this way is that people were added to the church. Now, the people were added to the church in Acts daily. For us, it might be yearly. Wouldn't it be great if it was monthly or weekly and daily for us? But that's not for us to choose. Ours, ours is to walk that path faithfully in such a way that the seed is being sown. On that day in Acts, when they threw the seed out, we're told that 3,000 came to the Lord. You know? And we think, fantastic, that's brilliant. But probably, that was only probably about 3% of the people who were in Jerusalem at that time. So it wasn't, a, I mean, it's a massive number, but percentage-wise, it's probably not much more than what the church is like in, in the UK, at least in, in England, that we might expect that that might be 3% who claim to, to be followers of Jesus. Um, but as... God birthed the church. He saw it fit to, to see these 3,000 people come to the Lord. So I just want to encourage you that there's no quick fix. It's just daily living for him, daily being conformed to him, and daily living together in such a way that it might transform our communities and our people. Let's just read that passage together, and then I'll just pull out four things from it for us, four simple things. So Peter replied, uh, this is after he's... Uh, giving a sermon about uh, coming to Christ is to repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit the promises for you and your children and all who are far off for all, all, all whom the Lord our God will call with many words he, words he warned them and pleaded with them save yourselves um, from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptised and about 3,000 were at, added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad, with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So, this path of transformation has four elements out of this passage. First one is, is disciple making. Second one is devotion. Third one is distribution. And the third one is dailiness. I'm not sure if you spell it like that. <coughs> Couldn't work out. 
Spanish parlada, whether it's with a Y. So as we want to see our lives transformed and the life of our community transformed, there has got to be disciple making that takes place. And this disciple making is not, as I've said, some sort of convey about of putting through people through a number of courses. This is, this, this is about people coming to know Christ. And what we'll see in this passage is that there is bold proclamation by Peter that there is an understanding of conversion, that there, there needs to be confession and repentance of sin and faith, that there is a public um, um, proclamation in baptism and that these people join the church. So there's some sort of ch church membership, whether formal or informal. Okay? So, <coughs> as we want to see people come to know Christ, we've got to share the gospel with them. The truth of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ has to be spoken, has to be under, understood to people. And Peter here, again, captivated and compelled by Christ, stands up before them and shares Christ with them. He says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. He says, look, you need to turn away from your old way of living into a new way. So, so often we find that churches think the message of Jesus Christ either is too hard or maybe not uh, relevant today. So they try to dumb it down, make it easier to come into the kingdom of God. And yet Peter here does nothing of the sort. And let's remember, this is not an easy context. We think, oh, well, 3,000 came to the Lord, therefore it must be easy. No, we're talking about going against everything you've ever been taught for all of your life and saying, Jesus is the one that we're waiting for. I know we killed him. You killed him. And he even tells them that, doesn't he? Um, but Jesus, Jesus Christ is the one who can save you from your sin. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the Passover Lamb, the one that we've been waiting for, who is going to uh, once and for all make a sacrifice. He is the uh, new Davidic king, the one who will rule and reign forever, the one that we've been waiting for. Guys, we killed him. We need to repent of our sin and turn to him. It's an old message. It's the only message. Sometimes we like to say, oh, come to church. Because church, you know, almost as if that's what will save people. Church won't save people. Jesus saves people. Church is the place that we go because we love him. And because we want to celebrate him. Okay, it's nothing, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong with inviting people to church. I'm just saying church doesn't save, but they need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. There needs to be a bold proclamation and he tells them that there will be a promise that when they uh, receive the forgiveness of their sins, that the gift of the Holy Spirit will come. That there's, uh, he has here like an understanding of how conversion takes place. You were not in God's kingdom, you were in God's kingdom. When you weren't in God's kingdom, you didn't have the Spirit living in you. When you come into God's kingdom, you do have the Spirit in you. How does that take place? Through your confession of your faith in Christ, and the repentance of your sin and the placing of your faith 
in Jesus Christ. Then the spirit lives in us and then the fruit starts to come. So one of the things that we do often with folks who come to the Lord, um, we will um, spend some time with them. The first sort of like one-to-one session, if you want to talk about it that way, is about has God done what he needs to do? Yeah? Has he paid, has, has someone paid the, the price? We'll just go through what, what God did, what Jesus did. Then we say, have you done what you need to do? Which is confess and repent. Why? Because we don't want to just assume, just because somebody says, oh, I've invited Jesus into my heart, that they really know what they're, they, they're, they're doing. Sometimes people don't know what they're doing. It doesn't mean they're not genuine. It's just maybe they just need it more fully explained or they just need to work through it in that, in, in that way. And then the next question we would ask them is saying, you know, how do you feel? What's, what's going on in your, you know, in your life? And what we'll see is that they will start to describe some of the fruits of the Spirit or some of the impact of having the Spirit in their life. If somebody doesn't have that, that, any of those fruits of the Spirit in your life, you can be sure they have not come to Christ. Because he says, you receive the promised Holy Spirit. So we're not talking about massive things. It might be like, I just feel a joy, I feel peace, I feel a desire to read the Bible. None of those things come from, none of those things come from Satan. Uh, these are all things that, that um, the Spirit of God, they might say, I, I felt convicted about this particular sin in my life and I want to, I want to deal with it. So as we, we look for this path of tra- transformation, it's a transformation that doesn't take place by changing um, the context where we meet doesn't take place by changing the, trying to change or socially engineer our community. It takes place where people's lives are being changed by the work of God in their lives. That these people are coming from the kingdom, one kingdom to another kingdom. That's how transformation takes place. And that's why it's important that we do things like baptism because it's an outward expression to saying, I am his. He has done this for me. And God put it in there for us because he knew that we would need in ourselves just to be able to proclaim it to one another. Because when we do that, there's power in doing that. There's power in saying, I no longer live for me, I, I live for him. But then also, they said they were added to their number and it's important that when people come to know Christ, they become part of his family. And being part of his family is meeting with that family. Meeting with that family is what I would call the church. And so it's important that people would meet together to be encouraged, to be built up, to know that they belong not just to Christ, but to his, his body. God's great transformation plan for his community, for his world starts with individuals being changed. A new society being built, a new embassy on earth. People representing the king, people belonging to him. The second thing that we see here is devotion. And there are four things that they are devoted to. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching, they're devoted to fellowship, they're devoted to breaking of bread, and they're devoted to prayer. These are the simple means of grace by which people will see what God's kingdom is like in this embassy. This embassy is one who is devoted to the word. 
who takes the word and says, hey, this is, this is your very word spoken. This is the highest authority in, in, our, in our life. Our life as individuals, but our life corporately. Whatever it says, that's, that's, our, that's where our arguments are based. That's where our foundation is. And he says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What was the apostles' teaching about? They were talking about the centrality of Christ in understanding all the scriptures. They were teaching, this is, what, this is who Jesus is and what he's done. Let's see it throughout the whole of history. And people were coming to, uh, to understand uh, who God was and what he'd done through this, this teaching. And for us, we need to devote ourselves to the word, not just, uh, we need to do that corporately, but corporately, as an, individually as an expression of that corporate commitment. So often we can let tradition be the, um, one of the high standards, or maybe culture, what's acceptable, especially in this day and age where morality is really made up by what seems moral to one person or to a group of person. And the whole of society then has to accept their morality as, as, as being moral. You know, these things are shifting sand, but what doesn't shift is the word of God. So they were committed to the teaching, but they also committed to fellowship. That means being together. Um, later on it says they met together in the temple and they met together in the homes. They, they were committed to one another. Not as a kind of like a club. Because fellowship, that doesn't really express what fellowship is. You know, it's, it's a, a, a joining together uh, around one thing. It's a, it's a knitting together of hearts. Does that make sense? This is, this is not like a, an event to go to or an organisation to join. This is like an intimate relationship with one another. A sharing of their, their common unity um, around Christ. And so, when we have... They were, they were, so they were committed to being with one another. They were committed to enjoying one another's uh, presence. They were committed to fellowship. And then they were committed to the breaking of bread. <coughs> which is to, to continually remind themselves of what their common unity was. Their common unity wasn't in the style of worship. Their common unity wasn't in the stream or denomination that they uh, have been part of for years. No, their common unity was in Christ. And that's why they kept on breaking bread. This is all about Christ. His death for our death. His blood for our blood. A new covenant in his righteousness not the old covenant in our works righteousness. They kept on reminding themselves about the gospel. Because it's in the truth of the gospel that everything else will find its meaning. What Jesus has done for us and is doing for us and will do for us. And so they broke bread. Here it describes them doing it in a daily manner. They just wanted to say, it's all about Jesus. Let's keep on reminding our community, our common unity is about Jesus. It's not about mode. It's not about, um, let's say, buildings. It's not about even the place where we are. It's about Jesus. And then finally, they devoted themselves to prayer. 
they realized this work of transformation could never be done by mere strength or mere manpower or mere uh, goodwill. They knew that they needed the, the work of the Spirit and they needed the help of the Father to empower them to do that which they couldn't do. And so they devoted themselves to intimacy with God through prayer. They wanted to um, um, yeah, they, they, they wanted and knew that they needed to be near him and to hear from him, to have wisdom that came from above. And these are not activities that we can say, well, look, our church planting or growth model is let's do all these things. No, these were overflows of the heart. Do you know what I mean? Anyone who's tried to... Um, be devoted to prayer um, without letting their heart be captivated by Christ will know that you, we soon come unstuck. It's hard work prayer. It's hard to be still. Now these things started to overflow. Um, they, they taught, they shared, they ate, they prayed. This is what they did. This was the outworking of their hearts being captivated. This is the outworking of their joy in Christ. These are normal things that you do when you love being to get together. When you want each other to grow. You don't have to organize, well, you might have to organize these things, but you know they're not organized things. They're things that we want to do and then we organize the best way to do them as a fellowship. So they were devoted to these things. Thirdly, there was this great distribution. It says something amazing really, that no one had need. That they, they were so again captivated by this new community, that new embassy, this new kingdom that they were part of, that was so different that they didn't keep to themselves what they had, but they made sure that nobody was without need. It's the sort of thing that you do when you realize the people that you with, you're with are your family. You know, I don't keep food from Boaz. I make sure he has it, apart, apart from if it's chocolate, of course. And I might try and keep it away from him a little bit. But, you know, I want him to be fed. I don't want him to go without. I've got to find out what his need is. Of course, I've got to define that. But once I've defined his need, I want him to have it. Why? Because he's my family. If I knew my, my, my grandmother uh, needed a new chair to sit in or something like that, and I had some money, I wouldn't think twice about giving it to her. Why would I? She's my grandmother. I feel responsible uh, because we have a common unity through our blood that I would provide for her. It seems to me that in our very individualistic world, we have lost something of this in our culture. And therefore... It bleeds into our church and yet we're to be an embassy completely different to the world around us. Working in such a way that people might see the new way that the kingdom brings. And the new kingdom is a place where nobody has needs. Where the King Jesus will always take care of everything they need. Now he calls us to be that embassy. And one of the ways in which we do that is the way in which he distributes our things. Nobody counted anything as their own, it says later in Acts. Acts 3. No one counted anything as their own. And that's not a call to communism. What they meant was God, they recognised God had given it to them and God then wanted them to be users of that in such a way that it might bless other people. This is not a call. This is a, this is a, 
description, not a prescription. What I mean by that is, it's, it's not saying everyone should sell all their land, all their possessions, and give it all away to the, the poor. It's not describing that. Uh, it's not prescribing that. But it's describing what actually happened when the Spirit of God came upon them, that they really did want to meet each other's needs. For some of us, we have, we have more need than we have resource. Some of us have more resource than we have need. That's what, that's what distribution is about. And as we think about our world... When the way in which we can serve our world um, is by being those who distribute that which we've got. So they shared it amongst themselves, but also it says later on that they had favour with the people around them. There was something of which they were doing that people were benefiting from. So they didn't just share it internally, they shared it externally with people, those around them, those who were around them. And one of the ways in which we engage in our culture is to say, where's the need in our culture? And we're not always talking about finance here. We can talk about money. Uh, so we can talk about time. We can talk about energy. We can talk about prayer. We can talk, there's lots of ways in which we can meet and distribute the things that we have around to those who don't have them. But let's, but let's be clear. This takes place in the context of disciple-making and devotion. This, is, this, is, this can't be pulled out and stuck on its own. A lot of churches now are wanting to be those who distribute, those who do social action stuff. Brilliant. It is lovely, but if you don't have disciple making and you don't have the devotion to Christ, this distribution is really a mis- uh, misleading. It has the flavour and the fluff of Christianity without the substance. <laughs> you know, it, uh, it, it kind of creates the context but without the clarity, you know, of what, what it's about. People don't come to the kingdom of God just by having their bellies filled. Food banks absolutely love them. But if you're in your food bank, you're volunteering, people aren't saying, the reason we're doing this is because Christ has been generous to us. The reason why we don't want you to go hungry is because in his kingdom, nobody will ever go hungry. And we care about your need, but you've got a greater need, and that's your spiritual need. You may go hungry tonight, but Jesus says, if you come to me, I will give you water that will mean you'll never be thirsty. That's what I want. That's what, that's what I really want for you. But I'm, I'm, I want to meet your immediate need. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, the food bank is brilliant, but if you just stop there at distribution, then there's no transformation. We've got to be people who recognize that people's biggest need is their separation from Christ. So this is the sort of kingdom that God wants his people to be. And then finally, daily. Quite a challenging one really. Because it seems like when we read this that these folks had such a relationship that they were in and out of each other's lives on a regular basis. Basis. This is not mere proximity, but this is availability. It says that, this verse 46, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. So there's something corporate about meeting together. They went and met, met in the place where God was worshipped. They didn't have churches then. Uh, they didn't have their own special meeting place. They just went to the place where they'd always gone and they met somewhere in the temple courts and they read the word together. They did this on a daily basis. Why? Because they sensed 
that worshipping God was a daily reality. Not something that they just did on their own once, that they did together once on a Sunday and then just did their own thing. But no, this is a daily reality of being together. Now, we don't have temples and we don't have churches that function and work in that same way. So I'm not suggesting that you come here every day to be in a building to, to worship, but just that there's a, a reality of getting together daily. But then also it says that they broke bread in their homes and they ate with glad and sincere hearts. And it seems again that this was part of this daily reality of being together. They didn't get scattered and then never see each other. But this embassy could be seen on a daily basis. Sometimes the problem with the um, embassy is that the embassy only really exists once a week. (laughs) Yeah? In some formalized, organized way. And yet, Christ's embassy is to be there, a living organism, as it were, an embassy, a place where God can be seen on a daily basis. And so we have to work out together as a family who's on mission, how can we create an embassy by which people can see the reality of God's kingdom on a daily basis? Because it is a daily reality. It either exists or it doesn't exist. But how can we create, how can we organize ourselves in such a way that people can see this? And to me, this happens both in organized ways and in organic ways in which we can be um, a people for which people, other people can see what it's like to be under God's care and under God's um, um, uh, under God's rule. So there was a daily commitment to serving other people. There was a daily, uh, and we see that this daily commitment to one another led to daily conversions. There was something about what was happening that led to people seeing it and glorifying God and praising God for what he was doing. We might say, is this too much? Is this too unattainable? Is the bar too high? And yet when we're captivated by Christ, when we're compelled by his love, when we're convinced that there's nothing else worth living for, the bar is not too high. We must devote ourselves to Christ, be led by him to devote ourselves to other people. We want to be devoted to his word, to his people, to his promises, to his presence, to his provision, to his pleasures. That working of living with Jesus is a daily reality that he wants us to enjoy. And really all we're doing is inviting other people into our daily enjoyment of Christ. If we, if we do that as a church, people will be saved. If we invite people into our daily enjoyment of following him together people will be changed because people are looking for a new community people are looking for a new way 
deep down, they are not satisfied with the life that they have. They may not know they're looking for Christ and his kingdom. They may have looked at the church and thought, that is not the community that I want to be part of. But we're called to be a new community, a new embassy, where Christ can be seen, where Christ's rule can be understood. And as we do that together, people will come to know him. It's not an easy path. It's an old path. It's not a new path. It's not a trendy path. It's just the old ways that God has set his church to be. People who want to tell other people about Jesus. People devoted to him. People that are willing to distribute all that they have. And people who are willing to daily live for him and for his glory. I'm going to pray and then maybe be an opportunity for some discussion around this. Some of this gets a little bit more practical. There might be some how questions, why questions. Those questions are good. But again, if we're going to be people who are conformed by the word, then we can't just push these to a side and say, we don't like this. This is not good. No, this is good. This is wonderful. And Christ wants us to enjoy that. I'm just going to pray. Father, just thank you for your word. Your call to us is come and die. Come and die. Come and lay everything down for me. Come and receive new life. Come and throw off the sin that hindered become part of a new kingdom, a radically new kingdom that everybody deep down, if they knew it and experienced it, would want to be part of. And Father, we, we want to be those who are in a part of forming that kingdom. And yet we know also, Lord, that we struggle. Help us in our unbelief that this is not good news. Help us in our desire to see things uh, grow quickly without going through the things or doing the things or being the things that you want us to be. Help us, we, we pray, to have the love for one another, the devotion to one another that produces an embassy that other people and a family that other people want to join because they see you at working us. They see our enjoyment of you, not just once a week, but as a daily reality. So I pray that you just make our conversations fruitful now, and that you might encourage us in you to spur one another on to good works and good deeds for your glory. Amen. I wonder whether just in some small groups now you might uh, just get together and answer just some similar questions that you asked, asked, uh, were asked for the other ones. You know, what, what about that encouraged you or encourages you? What, what about that convinces you? What about that confuses you? Um, uh, what about that excites you? So there's four questions, you don't have to ask all of them. 
you might just be want to focus on one thing. Maybe there's one thing that's confused you. Think I just, I just want to clarify that. Good. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Just getting a clarity on what, what God is calling us to. But maybe there's just something that's, you know, exciting you and inspiring you. Please share it with one with another because that's great. Again, just to be able to hear what the Lord is doing in us. So maybe we have like um, ten, ten minutes or so.